We'd like to welcome you back to our current event and weekly Bible study for 12-7-08. And we're going to continue with the study we're doing on the Antichrist and in this particular regard, the tribe of Dan and the Merovingians and how that all relates together. This would be part three of that particular study, but my word, I'm not sure where we're at on the, on the others. This is probably getting near part ten of the actual study on the Antichrist. So, the next quote is from Judges uh, 14, 8 and 9. And after a time, he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. This is Samson. To see the carcass of the lion, and beheld there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion. And he took thereof in his hands, and went on eating, and came out of his and came to his father and mother, and he gave them, and they did eat, but he took, but he told them not that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. Now, in uh, Be Wise as Serpents, the book, they, they document how all the heads of the presidents of the LDS, the Latter-day Saints, and the RLDS Mormons, uh, have been descendants of the Merovingian dynasty. And they and the Masons have both used the Merovingian symbol of the bee extensively. And they say they get this symbol from this portion of scripture where Samson, who was, you know, one of the original Danites, they patterned themselves after, like the Spartans had long hair, the Merovingian kings had long hair, and they took on the symbol of the bee, okay, and also of the lion. Okay, we're going to, I believe, look at that a little bit more too, as well. Just a number, again, more interesting, interesting parallels here. Uh, in Psalm 22, 12, 13, and 21, it says, Many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorn. Okay, so coming back to this, uh, we we have the Psalm 22, um, 12 and 13, where it's talking about the strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round about, uh, ravening and a roaring lion. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorn. Now, this portion of scripture in Psalm uh, is, there's some messianic, quite a bit of messianic prophecy regarding Jesus Christ, okay, uh, where we go up to uh, even verse 16, for dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet, so in regard to Jesus Christ having his hands and feet pierced, I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me, um, at that point he was probably naked on the cross, um, they part my garments among them, and cats lost lots upon my vesture. Well, you know they did that. Okay? How the Romans did that with his vesture. And then it says in verse 19, But be thou, but be not thou far from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorn. That's part of the verse that I quoted. But previously in that in that portion of scripture, in verse 12, it says, Many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. Okay, so we see that word Bashan. 
Okay, and and it's it's connected many times with the ravening, roaring lions, the bulls of Bashan, uh, the roaring of a lion, the lion's mouth. Okay, and and again, I believe this ties into this whole messianic prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it, I mean, it, it goes on. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening, roaring lion. This is verse thirteen, Psalm twenty-two. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint, and my heart is like wax that is melted in the midst of my bowels. Okay. His bones weren't broken. Jesus Christ's bones weren't broken, but most likely they were out of joint. Okay, particularly being crucified the way that he was being crucified. So, uh, you, you kind of wonder, I mean, there's, there seems to be some parallels with Bashan. We're going to look at this closer. I just found this verse. Hadn't even seen this before. Amos 4.1. Listen to this. Hear this word, ye kind of Bashan that are in the mountain of Samaria, huh? which oppress the poor, which crush the needy, which say to their masters, bring and let us drink. Huh. You just wonder if that, what kind of reference there is to that. And the reason I said that is, let's read the next verse, Deuteronomy 33.22. What does that say? It says, and Dan, he said, Dan is a lion's whelp. This is what Moses said about Dan. And Dan, he said, Dan is a lion's whelp. He shall leap from Bashan. Hmm, like the strong bulls of Bashan that was most likely in reference to the messianic prophecy of Jesus Christ. The Bashan we just talked about that oppressed the poor and the needy and they were wicked. Yeah. And it's Dan that is a lion's whelp. And he shall leap from Bashan. Hmm. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round about. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. Save me from the lion's mouth. Dan is a lion's whelp. He shall leap from Bashan. <laughs> this is heavy duty. I mean, you talk about some amazing parallels here. That's why I'm really taking my time on this, because I don't want you to miss anything in regard to this study. Because it would be real easy to miss if you just skimmed over it. So, judges... Uh, we already read this first. Judges 14, 8 through 9, where Samson returned, um, turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. Behold, there was a swarm of bees in the carcass of the lion. And he took thereof in his hands and he went on eating. Okay, it talks about the carcass of the lion and the swarm of bees. Samson, a Danite. Dan is a lion's whelp and he shall leap from Bashan. Some interesting parallels here. Now, if we go to... Um, Actually, Judges 16.31. Judges 16.31. This is scripture uh, deep. We're, we're really, this is strong meat we're talking about today here. <laughs> this is really, to me, this is just awesome. But just neat, a really awesome study here. So Judges... Uh, 16.31 And his brethren and all the house of his father came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Estral in the burying place of Manoah his father. And he judged uh, Israel 20 years. Now this is in regard to Samson. Now in regard to that verse, the character and the work of Samson, Samson are alike enigmatical, meaning it's kind of an enigma. Okay, paradoxical. Announced by an angel in... Um, Judges 13, 1-21, he was a Nazarite, 
according to number six in Judges thirteen five, who constantly defiled defied his Nazarite separation through fe- fleshly appetites. Called of God to judge Israel, which was, you know, the, the time when every man did what was right in his own eyes. So it wasn't exactly a ideal model time for the Israelites. But he was called to judge Israel and endued wonderfully with, with the Spirit, capital S. He wrought no abiding work for Israel and perished in captivity to his enemies, the Philistines. What was real in the man was his mighty faith in Jehovah. In a time of doubt and apostasy, and this faith God honored. Um, and he even talks about that in Hebrews 11.32. So again, a, a very... Um, you know, a striking thing here, just a, an interesting point there in regard to Samson. Now, if we go to First uh, Chronicles 5.23. First Chronicles 5.23. First Chronicles 5.23. And that says, And the children of the half-tribe of Manasseh, Dwelled in the land, they increased from Bashan unto Baal Hermon. Now, or notice, Bashan is also linked and tied in with Baal Hermon or Mount Hermon. Bashan. Where will Dan? What is Dan? He's a lion's whelp. We get a lot of this lion parallel. Remember, now Satan is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We're not talking about the lion of the tribe of Judah here. Okay, <laughs> we're talking about Satan as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Dan is a lion's whelp and shall leap from Bashan. Where did Dan migrate into? What did he have a lot to do with? This Mount Hermon. Manasseh actually had a right to be there. Dan didn't. I think that's the difference. I believe that's why Manasseh... Uh, why, why Manasseh was actually given replaces Dan in Revelation 7. Because he had a right to be there. Manasseh, the tribe. They dwelt in the land. They increased from Bashan to Baal Hermon. Just because you go into a wicked land doesn't mean it has to totally defile you. Okay? What Satan intended for evil, God can use for good, in other words. Whereas when Dan went there, that wasn't the case at all. And we're going to look at that more. Okay, so they increased from Bashan unto Baal Hermon and Sinar and unto Mount Hermon. Okay, so we got we have some more parallels there. Okay, so now here we go further. Um, come with me from Lebanon, my spouse. With me from Lebanon, which is also associated with this with this area that we're talking about. Look from the top of Amana, from the top of Shinir and Hermon, Mount Hermon. Yeah, come from. Come with me. Now, this is Song of Solomon 4.8. This isn't a book we normally quote. Song of Solomon. Okay? Doesn't mean that it's wicked. I'm just saying. Song of Solomon. Come with me from Lebanon. My spouse, with me from Lebanon. Look from the top of Amana, from the top of Shinir, and from Hermon, Mount Hermon. From where? The lion's den. Wow. From the mountains of the leopards. So now here we have this connection again with Herman in the lion's den. Interesting uh, point here. So if we go to Deuteronomy 3, 8 through 11, I, I really, I think it was the Lord that showed me 
all these verses because I, I, I'm looking at this now. I'm thinking, how did I find all this? Now, I mean, granted, this I, I used the this these teachings as a backbone, but then the Lord showed me all this other stuff alongside it, <laughs> which was which was awesome. Praise the Lord. Um, so Deuteronomy three eight through eleven. Sorry, it's taking me a little while to get there. Deuteronomy 3, 8 through 11. Here we're, now we're going to take another interesting turn here. And we took at that time out of the hand of the two kings of the Amorites, the land that was on this side, Jordan. Remember, Jordan is actually named after Dan. The river that comes from Dan. Remember, that's what Jordan means. From the river of Arnon unto Mount Hermon. Ah, okay. So we took at that time out of the hand of the two kings of the Amorites, who were wicked, the land that was on this side of Jordan, from the river of Arnon unto Mount Hermon. Interesting. Which Hermon, the Sidoans call Siron, and the Amorites call Shenir. Now, when we go back to this last verse from Song of Solomon, it says, Come with me from Lebanon, my spouse, and with me from Lebanon, look under the top of Amarna and the top of Shinir. Well, this is where we get the word Shinir, because that's what the Amorites called Mount Hermon, Shinir. It's all saying the same thing. Interesting parallel. Verse 10, all the cities of the plain, and all Gilead, and all Bashan, there we go with that word again, under Salkot, and Edri, cities of the kingdom of Og, of Bashan. Og in Bashan. Okay, so we've got Og. Who's Og? I mean, what a name. Maybe this is where we get the word for ogre. For only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of the giants. Oh, me! What do you mean, the remnant of the giants? Well, let's just... I think this is one of the neatest studies we've ever done. I love this stuff. Praise the Lord. I'm going to go back real quick. Genesis 6, uh, verse 4. And there were giants in the earth in those days. This was the days of Noah. And also after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, these were the fallen angels, at, at, the sons of God you know, were good until they fall, fell. They came into the daughters of men and they bare children to them, the same became men, uh, mighty men, which were of old men of renown. Okay. Now, what is the key part of this verse? There were giants in the earth in those days. These were, the word giants is translated from the word nephilim, or fallen ones. Okay. There were giants in the earth in those days. Key verse, and also after that. Well, how did that happen? Well... More angels fell. Okay, just like they did in Genesis 6, the same temptation was there after the flood. Okay, evidently the other angels had not learned their lesson and and some more of them fell. I believe that's what happened. Because the Bible talks about the angels that kept not their first estate are chained, um, are in, you know, chained in everlasting judgment until the day of judgment. These are in a special compartment of hell called Tartarus. If you look that word up, in reference to hell, I believe in the book of Jude, it's Tartarus. 
Okay, so it's a different part of hell, specially made or specially put there for, to keep these fallen angels. So I believe more angels fell. Okay, and it says also after that. That's what we're dealing with here. This is the also after that in the promised land. Because it says, um, now again, where was this at? <laughs> where did, where, where, where was Og, the king of, uh, the king of the, of Basha and the remnant of the giants? Where was he at? Where did he just happen to be at? Well, it talks about here Mount, Mount Hermon, which Hermon the Sidon's called the Siron, the Amorites called Shinir, and all the cities of the plain in that area, and all Gilead and all of Bashan, which is also associated with this area. Remember the strong bulls of Bashan we just mentioned? Do you see how this ties together? This is amazing. And in the cities of the kingdom of Og of Bashan, for only Og of Bashan remained of the remnant of the giants. They had all been killed by the uh, Israelites coming into the promised land. Okay, He was the only guy left. He was the, he was the last giant standing. And then it says, Behold, his bedstead was a bedstead of iron. So this guy's bed. And it was... Is it not in Rabeth of the children of Ammon? Nine cubits was the length thereof, and four cubits the breadth thereof, after the cubit of a man. How does this relate to our measurements? Well, it relates to if he had a bedstead that was nine cubits in length and four cubits wide, it was thirteen and a half feet long and six feet wide. So he was a big boy. You know, he was corn fed right off the farm. Okay? This guy was, you know, he was the man. So anyway, he actually wasn't a man. He was half fallen angel, half human. And then it says, in this land, of course, no, well, yeah. In this land at that time was Aora. That's not really important. Then we go to verse 13. And the rest of Gilead, in all Bashan, again, we hear Bashan, being the kingdom of Og, gave I unto the half-tribe of Manasseh. See, Manasseh had a right to be there. Dan didn't. This is probably the exact reason why Manasseh replaced Dan in Revelation 7. Because Dan was disobedient once they went into the promised land, totally. Not to say that Manasseh was perfect or any of the tribes are perfect. But Dan was really, really, really bad. Okay, So, gave I unto the half-tribe of Manasseh and all the tribes... So, we had, we'd already read that. In all of Bashan, which was called the land of giants. Now, if you were Satan, and this is where you had fallen, you... you, you the fallen angels fell there during Genesis 6. That's where they came down. Well, do you think they might gravitate back to the same place? Maybe that was the last stronghold they had left. Now, all of this wicked associated with this mountain, the, the, the worship of Pan, the worship of Baal, the, the, the connection with the giants. Here we have a direct connection. You can't deny that. You can dispute the book of Enoch where it says, well, those angels really didn't come down on Mount Hermon. But wouldn't that be the most logical place in light of everything that we've just talked about today? And then we look at Dan and how that relates to it, how it's intertied with Bashan, the lion, the bees that we had talked about, um, the Danines, the Spartans, the, the, all of these things that are connected with Dan. It's just amazing. So, let's go even deeper. And uh, I think we already actually, let's see here, uh, first, okay, so to give you a little more clarification here, Sinir, um, <clears throat> or Shinir, is Mount Hermon, okay? The Amorites called uh, it, um, 
Sinir or Shinir, and that is also known as Snow Mountain. That was one of the things the Amorites actually called it, uh, where it talks about here in the verse that we just read. These are just side notes more than anything else that I'm just giving you. The Sidonians called it Siron, which actually means breastplate. I looked these things up. Um, and they said it because the, 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 the center mountain appeared like a breastplate, I guess. That's what they, that's how they interpreted it. Um, Bashan is a district of the Jordan, which was actually given to Manassas, as we just saw. Baal Hermon was actually also known as the Lord of Destruction. Now that's, interestingly enough, what Shiva, which is the chief god of the Hindus, is the god of destruction. Baal Hermon most likely predates Shiva, though. Baal Hermon was known as the god of destruction. Remember, Hermon's the forbidden place. It also means anathema. You combine uh, uh, forbidden place, anathema with Baal. It's not a really good combo. Baal Hermon, Lord of Destruction. It's near, it's near, it's a city near Mount Hermon, and it's named as the seat of Baal worship. How wicked can you get? That's what we're talking about here. We're talking some serious confirmation. Confirmation is pretty tough to deny in totality. Uh, let's go further. Let's go even deeper. Solomon also had something remarkable to say about Mount Hermon. And we had, we had just read this. I'll just read it for... Come with me from Lebanon, my spouse, with me from Lebanon. Look from the top of Amana, from the top of Shinir and Hermon. Again, we're, we're dealing with the same thing here, essentially. Particularly with Shinar and Hermon, Mount Hermon. From the lion's den, again, which is what Dan is associated with, the lion's whelp, and the mountain of the leopards... So we're going to be talking a little bit more about the leopards. Here, Solomon is, men- is mentioned mentioned in a lion's den in the mountains of the leopards. This may be a reference to the prophecy made by Moses calling Dan a lion's whelp in Deuteronomy 33.22, which we just read. It seems that Solomon was aware of the Danite connection to Mount Hermon. And use the metaphor of the Danite lion's den. When the Danites first arrived in northern Israel, they conquered the village of Laash, meaning lion. Did you know the first village they conquered in northern Israel, which is in this area, was the village of Laash, which means lion in, in their vernacular. And they, he, they renamed it Dan. Interesting point. The book of Judges reports, and they called the name of the city Dan, after the name of Dan, their father, who was born unto Israel, or Jacob. How about the name of the city was Laash at the first? That's Judges 18.29. Furthermore, Solomon mentioned the Mount Hermon in connection with leopards. It is said that Ham's grandson, Nimrod, the 13th from Adam, wore a leopard skin as a symbol of his kingship. Also, there are, there are paintings of Egyptian pharaohs adorned with leopard skins. Even some medieval Egyptian royals wore the symbol, wore leopard skins. Interesting. Rabbi, this guy named Rabbi Simeon said, our colleagues are acquainted with the profound mystery concerning these garments, these leopard garments. Uh, in Daniel 7.6 and in Revelation 13.2, the Antichrist seems to be connected with the leopard. Another interesting parallel. Among, um, among them was also Alexander Hyssop that exposed this in his work, The Two Babylons. 
<clears throat> quoting from this book, The Two Babylons, and he says, this custom of taming the leopard and pressing it into service of a man in this way is traced to the earliest times of primitive antiquity in the works of Sir William Jones. We find it stated that Persian legends that Nimrod, the father of Tammuz, who built Babylon, was the first who bred dogs and leopards for hunting. I didn't know you could press a leopard into service, but evidently I guess you can do it. I don't know. I wouldn't want to try it. Now, the classic god bearing the lion skin is, rec- is recognized by that sign as Hercules, who was a Nephilim. Okay, Hercules, part, part human, part fallen angel. Okay, recognizes that sign of Hercules, the slayer of the Nemean lion. So in like manner, the god clothed in the leopard skin would naturally be marked out as Nimrod, the leopard subduer. Interesting. That is, the leopard skin as appertaining to the Egyptian god was no occasional thing. We have the clearest of evidence here. Wilkerson then tells us that on on all high occasions when the Egyptian high priest was called to officiate, it was indispensable that we should do so wearing as his robe of office the leopard skin. As it is in a universal principle in all idolatries that the high priest wears the insignia of the god that he serves. Remember, there's two places in the Bible that connect the leopard with the Antichrist. We just gave you those verses. This indicates the importance which the spotted skin must have have had attached to it as a symbol of the God himself. In recent articles, we covered the teachings of the early church theologians, Irenaeus and Hippolytus, who said that the Antichrist would come from the tribe of Dan. Based on Jeremiah 8.16, the snorting of the horses was heard from Dan. The whole land trembled at the sound of the name of his strong ones. We discussed the fact that the Greek king, Alexander the Great, claimed to be born of the seed of the serpent. Did you know Alexander the Great claimed that? He was born of the seed of the serpent? And we have discussed the possibility that the Roman emperor Nero could have descended from the Danites. Roman emperor Nero could have descended from the Danites. Hmm. Well, when Nero ruled the Roman Empire, he renamed Caesarea Philippi in honor of himself. Neronius, we had talked about that. For a while, the site of the ancient Danite city was called Neronius, meaning the city of Nero. That's from the Encyclopedia Judaica that I just, that last quote I just said, uh, page 162, on the subject of Benaeus. Finally, an ancient Jewish midrash likened Samson to their expected Messiah. Now, I'm not saying go to the Midrash, or the Talmud, or whatever. I'm using this pure as a, purely as a commentary. Okay, uh, But it, they liken Samson to their expected Messiah, saying, Samson, in some respects, was considered a forerunner of the Messiah, who will come from Judah, but, but his mother, according to the Midrash, will be of the tribe of Dan. So the Jews are probably expecting a Messiah that can supposedly prove his lineage from Judah, but also from the tribe of Dan. This is what the Midrash. That would make total sense looking at the information that we just are looking at here. Okay, Amazing. The Jews are looking for a Messiah whose father is from the royal family of Judah, but whose mother will be from the tribe of Dan. Those fallen angels who descended on Mount Hermon introduced the seed of the serpent into the human race. Evidently, after the flood, they consorted with the members of the tribe of Dan, mixing the seed of the serpent into the human genome once again, which is where we get the Merovingian bloodline from. They don't claim to be human, a lot of these people. They claim to be above 
human. Oh, now that, now you went too far. <laughs> the Bible says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. What were they doing in those days? What was the biggest thing going on? Oh, they were just marrying and giving in marriage. That's all that was going on. That's why God had to just wipe out the whole world. Because they were marrying and giving in marriage. Going about their very business. He just had to wipe out everybody. No, it's because the seed had been corrupted by these Nephilim, by the, by the fallen angels, so much so that God had no choice but to wipe out the whole world, save eight people. The only way he could preserve the bloodline. That's why he did. He didn't do it because he was trying to be mean or Mr. Oh, I'm going to teach you a lesson. Yes, it did say it had grieved God in his own heart that he, he, he had even created us. But that's why. And the devil knew if he could corrupt every person on the planet, their seed, there's no way the Messiah could come through that lineage and bruise his head. But it talks about in, in Genesis, I believe, 3. We, we talked about that very much before. So, this is, this is why. This is a battle between Satan and God. It's like a chess match. We know the Lord Jesus Christ is going to win, but Satan's always trying to, you know, outdo the Lord. It's never going to happen. But these giants were one of the chief tools he has always used, this Nephilim race, in order to accomplish this. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Why do you think we have all this genetic engineering and cloning and the UFOs abducting people and they're turning up pregnant and then all of a sudden the baby's gone at the, at the sixth or seventh month? And the, I mean, this is a proven fact. This stuff has happened to millions of people and they can't all be crazy. Well, maybe it's because as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. It's just being done in a little bit more of a subtle way. In the days of Noah, I believe it got to a point where it was just totally out in the open. There were no more pretenses. But maybe at the beginning, they were doing this more in secret. And then, and then as they gained more power, they said, ah, oh, we don't care. We're going to come out and do it in open. It probably gotten that bad at the end, when Noah built the ark. I'm, I'm postulating, but it seems to make sense. So let's go further. Uh, let's talk about Dan's sin and the false gods. And he, um, this is Judges 18, 18, 31, 30 through 31. I almost wanted to read this. Let, let, let's just go there real quick, because this, this is a very interesting uh, little portion of Scripture. And this really gets into what happened here with the, with the Danites, with, with Dan. This is, this is, I think, when they really, really, really got off track. Uh, when we when we read about this here, um, so it would be Judges, uh, Judges eighteen. Okay, I don't want to belabor this point, but I do, I do want to kind of set the stage here. Now, again, this is in Judges. Okay, when every man did that was which was right in his own eyes. This wasn't a ideal model biblical time. This was like the <laughs> antithesis of that. This was not like something we want to pattern our life after. So. Uh, I'm going to start in 17, verse 17. Judges. And there was a man on Mount Ephraim whose name was Micah. Now remember, Ephraim was the other son of Joseph. There was Manasseh and Ephraim. Just to, just to let you know. Um, so there was this man on Mount Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said unto his mother, The eleven hundred shekels of silver that thou were taken from thee, about which thou cursest, 
and spake up also in mine ear, Behold, the silver is with me. I took it, and his mother said, Blessed be thou, the son of my Lord. Now, this is already warped right off the bat. You got a guy that's stealing from his mom 11,000 shekels of silver, and <laughs> she had cursed the money. Now, remember, in biblical times, when you curse something, you couldn't take that back. Just like if you bless something, you couldn't take that back. That's why Ham had to, had to curse Canaan, because he couldn't curse Ham, even though had Ham had done something to him, it said. He knew what he had done unto him. He had already blessed him in the previous verses. You, you get my drift here? So it goes both ways. So she had already cursed this money. Interesting point as we read along here. It took it, and his mother said, Blessed be thou the Lord my son. So now she blesses her son who took her money. But the money's cursed. Kind of warped. And then, when he had restored the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver unto the Lord, from my hand, for my son, to make a graven image and a molten image, now therefore I will restore it unto thee. So now she gives the money back to him. Listen to this. It says, this is how warped they were in the days of Judges. I had wholly dedicated the silver unto the Lord, capital L, in the King James Bible. Like it's the Lord God Jehovah. And then, and then it's like, okay, that part makes sense. But this part doesn't. From my hand for my son to make a graven image. Oh, well, let's just totally violate the second commandment there. Let's throw the second commandment out where we're not supposed to bow ourselves down to graven images or make up, set up these images and things like this. So she's going to dedicate the 11,000 shekels of silver, which she already cursed, which she restored back to her, her son to make a graven image under the Lord. How warped can you get? Okay, right off the bat, this is bad, okay? That's why I wanted to establish this, so you can... Okay, so, yet he restored the money unto his mother, and his mother took 200 shekels of silver, and gave them to the founder, who made thereof a, made thereof a graven image, and a molten image, and they were in the house of Micah. So they took a portion of this money, and they made their old graven image. Under the Lord. It's like a lot of people today, you know? They, they, they think that they're doing the Lord's service. They think that going and warming a pew somewhere in one of these mega churches or one of these false apostate churches, and they're doing the Lord's service. They're getting their little brill cream religion, a little dabble do ya. They go in there and their conscience is placated because the pastor ain't preaching on nothing that's going to convict them of nothing. And, you know, they walk out of there the same child of hell they were than when they went in there. They're not even saved. There's no conviction of sin. There's no, there's no desiring for truth. So God is going to send them strong delusion that they will believe a lie that they might all be damned who receive not the love of the truth according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. A little commentary there. So, and the man Micah had an house of gods. Oh, that's always good. A house of gods. And made an ephod and a teraphim and consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. Uh, you gotta be a Levite to do that. And he wasn't. Did you see how messed up this is already? <laughs> this is really messed up. Verse 6. In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which right in his own eyes. This is why when we get away from the word of God, that's what we're going to all do. We're going to do what's right in our own eyes. Well, I'm basically a good person. I don't think God would, a loving God would send a, a nice person like me to hell. You better think again. For all is sin to come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And we are all together as an unclean thing, and all of our righteousness are as filthy rags. 
For we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of that sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus Christ said that. For you are saved by grace, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Romans 10, 9, and 10. Anyway, sorry. No, no, I'm not sorry, but um, I get fired up when I read stuff like this. It reminds me a lot of the day and time we're living in. So, um, every man did which was right in his own eyes. And there was a young man out of Bethlehem, Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite. And he sojourned there. And the man departed out of the city of Bethlehem, Judah, to sojourn where he could find a place, and he came to the Mount Ephraim, to the house of Micah. Now, this is the guy that has his gods, and there's his little molten image, and craven image, and all this other stuff we just mentioned. And Micah said unto him, Whence comest thou? And he said to him, I am a Levite of Bethlehem, Judah, and I will go sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said unto him, Dwell with me, and be unto me a father and a priest, and I will give you ten shekels of silver by the year, and a suit of apparel, and thy victuals. So the Levite went in. The love of money is the root of all evil. He made him a money offer. The guy accepted. This guy so wanted his false religion, his way. You know, he was willing to do whatever he had to do to get it. I mean, we've already seen all the, the stuff he's involved with that's totally un, unbiblical. But the Levite went in, and the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man was there as one of his sons. And Micah consecrated the Levite. How could Micah consecrate anything? He couldn't consecrate a Frito-Lay chip. A Frito. This guy was cursed. He was under a curse. He was serving cursed gods. How is he going to consecrate or sanctify and set apart and make holy? It wasn't him to do. Micah consecrated the Levite and the young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. Oh, well, isn't this one big happy apostate family? And then Micah said, now I know that I... Now, this is how dwarfed and deluded this guy was. Now I know... I that the Lord will do me good, seeing I have a Levite to my priest. Oh boy. Yeah, just it's just totally works. It doesn't matter that it's totally unbiblical. But this guy's convinced in his own mind that he's in God's will. Chapter 18. In those days there was no king in Israel. In those days the tribe of the Danites sought them an inheritance to dwell in. Now here's where the Danites come in. For unto that day all their inheritance had not fallen unto them among the tribes of Israel. Now, it, there's, a, there's a note here. Uh, it says, a striking illustration of all this apostasy. With his entire departure from the revealed will of God concerning the worship and the priesthood, yet there is this exaltation of false priesthood, saying, Blessed thou be of Jehovah. Micah's mother makes an idol, and Micah expects the blessing of Jehovah because he has linked his idolatry to the ancient Levitical order of the Levites. How insane! But this is what we do today. So many people. Well, I, I think it's this way, and I think, it doesn't matter what any of us think. All of our opinions are irrelevant in light of the Word of God. The hammer of truth. The sword of the Spirit. Sharper than two, any two-edged sword. 
able to divide into the soul and spirit and the joint and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Uh, it's a good point. And the children of, uh, verse 2, verse 18, Judges, and the children of Dan sent of their family five men from their coast, men of valor, from Zorah and from Eshetal, to spy out the land and to search it. And they said unto them, Go search the land where we came to Mount Ephraim, to the house of Micah. They lodged there. And then when they were in the house of Micah, they knew the, the voice of the young man, the Levite. And they turned in thither and said unto him, Who brought thee thither? And what makest thou in this place? And what hast thou here? These are the Danites talking to this Levite, apostate Levite priest. This priest for hire, essentially. Uh, and he said unto them, Thus and thus dealeth Micah with me, and hath hired me, and I am his priest. <laughs> so, and they said unto him, Ask counsel, we pray thee, O of God, that we may know whether our way which we go shall be prosperous. And the priest, so that it's good enough for Mike, it's good enough for the Danites, okay? And the priest said unto them, Go in peace before the Lord is your way, wherein ye go. Here's another false prophet telling the Danites, who are totally getting into apostasy, and they're right on the cusp of that right now, saying that go in peace before the Lord is your way, wherein ye go. Now, this might have been one of the main reasons the Danites did what they did and went to where they went, because they got a false blessing from this apostate priest. And they thought, well, I'm in God's will. Well, if they would have looked at this priest and understood he was in total apostasy himself, they would have never asked counsel of him. Just something to think about. Then the five men departed, these the Danites, and they came to Laish. Okay? Remember, this is also another name for lion. And they saw the people that were therein, how they dwelt careless. And after the matter of the Zidoans, quiet and secure, there was no magistrate in the land that might put them to shame in anything. And there were far from the Zidoans and had no business with any man. And they came unto their brethren in Zorah and Estal. And they said, Brethren, said unto them, What say ye? And they said, Arise, that we may go up against them. These were the people in Liash. Okay? For we have seen the land, behold, it is good, and ye are still... Um, Let's just go further. When you go, you shall come into a people secure, into a large land. So they're saying, basically taking counsel to attack them. The people of Liash. Okay? Um, and there went from thence of the family of the Danites, out of Zorah and out of Estral, 600 men of appointed with weapons of war. And they went up and they pitched in Kirajeth-Jerim in Judah. Wherefore they called the place Manathan unto this day. And let's go further. And then answered the five men that went out to spy the country of Liash and said unto their brethren, Do ye know that there is in the houses of, in these houses an ephod, a teraphim, and a graven image, and a molten image? So in other words, they were trying to mix uh, the Levitical priesthood in with the graven and molten images. But that was okay to them. Because that was, you know, hey, the more gods the merrier, essentially, was their motto. Uh, and then it says, Now therefore consider what you have to do. And they turned thitherward and came to the house of the young man, the Levite, even unto the house of Micah, and saluted him. And the six hundred men appointed with their weapons of war, which were with the children of Dan, stood by the entering of the gate. And the five men that went to spy up out of the land went up and came in thither and took the graven image and the ephod and the teraphim and the molten image. And the priest stood in the entering of the gate with the six hundred men that were appointed with weapons of war. And these went into Micah's house, and they fetched the carved image, and the ephod, and the teraphim, and the molten image, 
Then said the priest unto them, What do ye? And they said unto him, Hold thy mouth, lay thine hand upon thy mouth, and go with us, and be to us a father, and to us a priest. It is better for thee to be a priest under the house of one man than thou to be a priest under the tribe of a family of Israel. Now, are you understanding what's going on here? They go up to the house of Micah. They're going to go take Liash, but there's like, since we're going to be up there, there's this guy up there. He's got this teraphim and, and his ephod and this graven image and this molten image. So why, and he's got this Levi priest and it's just this one guy. We got 600 men of war. We're going to go up there and we're going to, we're going to fetch, we're going to steal all the stuff out of his house and we're going to take the priest. We're going to compel the priest to be our priest, our false priest. And wow, I mean, this is a guy for hire anyway. And what do you think he's going to do? Turn down 600 people, men of war? I doubt it. Okay, so that's what their plan was. <laughs> so that's what they did. Now, this is where you really first see Dan getting off into false religion and idolatry in a really big way in the exact area that we're talking about here in the Mount Hermon area. Okay, because Liash was in that area. And the priest's heart was glad. So he, he was all for it. Yeah, you know, I'm going to go, now I'm going to really have some... Um, I'm really going to have some, you know, uh, glory or whatever here because now I'm actually going to be the priest to a whole tribe. Now I'm really going to have legitimacy. Now I'm really going to feel Mr. Religious. Okay? Which is what happens to a lot of uh, pastors to this day. So the priest's heart was glad and he took the ephod, the tear from the graven image. They went up into the midst of the people. Uh, so if we go further, Micah tries to basically go back uh, Micah goes to them after they take his priest and all his nice molten graven images, and he's all sad, you know, he's, he's mad. And he says, I, you've taken away my gods, which I made. <laughs> How pathetic. So Micah's crying here, okay? You've taken away my gods, which I made, and the priest, and you're gone away, and what have I more? And what is this that ye say unto me? What aileth thee? I mean, how dare you to ask me what aileth thee? You know what ails me. You took away all my false gods and my molten image and my graven image and all my false priest stuff and my priest himself. And the children of Dan said unto him, Let not thy voice be heard among us, lest angry fellows run upon thee and thou lose thy life and the lives of thy household. They're saying, dude, you better get out of our face because we're going to kill you if you don't shut up. Essentially is what they're telling him. It doesn't even say that they gave him anything for all that they had stolen. I, they were just, you know, we're going to take it and you're going to like it and we don't care. And the children of Dan went their way. And when Micah saw that they were too strong for them, he turned and went back to his house. Yeah, there were 600 of them. It would have been kind of a, you know, I don't think he would have done too well in the fight. And they took the things which Micah had made and the priest which he had, and they came to Liash under the people that were quiet and secure, and they smote them with the edge of the sword, and burnt the city with fire. And there was no deliverer, because it was far from Zidon, because there was no people that were going to ally themselves with these people of Liash. They were separated off by themselves. They were like a sitting duck. Okay, so, they had no business with any man. Uh, and then they called the name of that city Dan, after they had killed everybody and burnt the city. I don't know why they burnt the city with fire, though, because then now they'd have to rebuild. But anyway, um, after Dan, their father, who was born in Israel, how about the name of the city was at first Liash, which is means lion. Remember, Moses prophesied Daniel would be as of a lion's whelp, and he would leap from Bashan, Bashan being the region very near there. Again, just to remind you, and the children of Dan set up the graven image, 
and Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh, he and his sons were priests to the tribe of Dan. Under the day of the captivity of the land. And they set them up Micah's graven image, which he made all the time that the house of God was in Shiloh. Okay, so the house of God was in Shiloh, Shiloh being uh, uh, Jerusalem. But Micah, they set up his graven image and essentially that became their God at that point. I really believe this is where we can say that, okay, this is where Dan really, we can see they really went down the tubes at this point. Uh, you can prove it just from that portion of scripture. Uh, so let's go back now. I've got to do some backtracking here. Um, okay. First uh, Kings 12.28 says, Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. And said unto them, it is too much for you to go to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods. Oh, it's too much for you to go, go to Jerusalem. I'm going to set up these two calves of gold. Bulls of gold. Strong bulls of Bashan, remember? He made two calves of gold, said unto them, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods. Okay. O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. What audacity. He's saying... That these gods, these two calves of golds, were the one that brought up Israel out of the land of Egypt? Man, you talk about making, really, really trying to provoke the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, that's exactly what they did when Moses tarried on the mountain too long. They set them up there, you know, they took out their earrings and all the gold that they had brought from Egypt. And they said they threw the gold in the fire and out popped this, this bull. This calf that they could worship, the golden calf, uh, not a good thing. So he said, Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt, and he set one in Bethel, and he put the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan. Here's another connection with the, now we're talking about, this might be in reference to uh, what Laash was, the city of Dan. Okay, probably was. So this is where one of these false um, golden calves actually was. So again, uh, what we're seeing here is this is later, uh, this First uh, Kings 12 is later than Judges, so we're seeing that there's, there's more idolatry being perpetuated further down the line because, you know, it makes sense. I mean, you're just not going to start out and stay one place. You're either going to get closer to God or closer to the devil. So it started to degenerate you know, I believe when Dan went off into apostasy. The Canaanites worshipped Baal as the god of rain and thunder. And sexual orgies were enacted to provoke his presence in the land. Okay, so this was the kind of stuff that was going on before they ever even got there. Remember, this type of stuff, sin defiles the land, particularly innocent blood. But the Canaanites worshipped Baal, and uh, sexual orgies were enacted to provoke his presence in the land, prior to them even getting there. Astarte was worshipped conventionally on the high places, the hills and the mountains, in Mount Hermon. Astarte, Ishtar, same, the goddess Diana, Semiramis, basically all connected the same stuff. But Astarte, which was worshipped um, conventionally on the high hills in Mount Hermon, for example, abounded with her shrines. This is a quote from uh, Temple in the Lodge, page 126. Every single one of these is a different quote from a different book or author. Uh, fortunately, the stone image of, of Ashtoreth has survived, found in the ruins of Dan. 
where the golden calf was worshipped in what is now northern Israel. This is the golden calf that they just referenced up here in the city of Dan, which dates from the 8th century BC. The goddess strongly resembles her neighboring deities, Annette, Astarte, or Ashtaroth. That is from an author named Johnson on page 315 of his book. According to Parker's astrology, the 8th astrological house is October 24th through November 22nd. Scorpio is the 8th astrological sign. To Dan was given the sign of Scorpio, which in the ancient Egyptian zodiac was a snake. Ancient Egyptian zodiac was a snake. What was Dan? What was Dan prophesied to be? A serpent and an adder in the path that's going to bite the horse's heels and use as a judge for his people. Remember all the other verses we talked about? A lot of, a lot of parallels here. Uh, here's another quote. And perhaps there is significance in the fact that the 8th house, house of astrology rules the mysteries of sex, death, and rebirth and the occult. And that would be the sign of Scorpio. In the KJV, uh, and here, I'm, I'm going to just, uh, this is important. I mentioned this earlier, but I'm going to reiterate it now. In the KJV, the Old Testament only contains two renderings of Mount Sion, with an S. S-I-O-N. Which is Mount Hermon. Okay? How do you know that? Well, let's go to Deuteronomy 4.48. Deuteronomy 4.48. This is one I want you to see with your own eyes. So you're, I'm not making this up. Deuteronomy 4.48 says, Even unto Mount Sion, with an S, which is Hermon. Very important you get this. Mount Sion is referenced two times in the Old Testament. Only two times. Do the keyword search. Go up on Blue Letter Bible online. Prove it for yourself. I did. Okay. Be like a good Berean. Search these things out to see if they be so. Deuteronomy 4.48. Even unto Mount Sion, which is Hermon. It's also mentioned in Psalm 65, verse 1. Sion. However, um, the, um, all of the Hebrew spellings of Zion are changed in the Hebrew to Sion in the Greek, which is in the New Testament. The lack of distinction between Mount Hermon and Mount Zion can create confusion. Okay? In Strong's Concordance, Zion and Sion are two different words. Strong's lists Sion... Uh, as um, number one definition is lofty, and number two, well, actually, and also part of that definition, it was another name for Mount Hermon. Isaiah, for example, though, in Isaiah 33.20, it says, Look upon Zion, with a Z, the city of our solemnities, thine eyes shall see Jerusalem. Mount Zion is Jerusalem. Okay, and I'm, I'm quoting out of the KJV. Uh, Zion in out of strongs means a parched place and it's also another name for Jerusalem especially in the prophetic books so we we can see here they're two totally different things okay uh the uh Sion the word with an s is only used two times in the old testament but it's used seven times in the new in which the greek translates Zion to Sion because remember there's sometimes when you go from you have the Greek interpretation of a word and you have the Hebrew. Okay, there may be a little nuance. Like, Bible talks about as it was in the days of Noe. N-O-E. He's talking about Noah. So you have to know these things so you don't get confused. Okay, it's not that the Bible, you know, I'm not saying the Bible has errors. I'm just saying that it means the same thing. You just have to understand that there's a difference. Okay, so 
the word Zion is only used in the Hebrew Old Testament with the Z. It's not used one time in the New. Do a keyword search. You'll find, you will not find it. Zion. It's S-I-O-N in the, in the Greek New Testament. Okay, derived from the Greek. So it's just very important you know that because there's, you know, obviously there's a distinction here. If you're thinking Zion and Sion are simultaneous, you're going to get really confused when the Bible says in Deuteronomy 4.48, even under Mount Sion, which is Hermon. Well, hold on, I thought it was Jerusalem. It is Jerusalem, but it's Zion. Okay? The priority des Sion, with an S, is the very name that appears to be associated with Mount Sion, or Mount Hermon, the rock of Sion is spoken of in the Freemasonic rites of the 18th century. It seems that the Masons give another significance to the rock of Sion, other than that which indicates the sacred mount situated south of Jerusalem. Okay, so um, the Masons give another significance to Sion, which is separate and distinct, it's Mount Hermon, other than that which indicates the sacred mount situated south of Jerusalem. Okay, so again, they're trying to the, even the Masons distinguish between Zion and Sion. Okay, that's just a it's kind of an important point to uh, to bear in mind there. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and end here. I've got a whole other part to do, and I would go into a part four today. And I, I, I just uh, it's a lot more to cover. So this is already the third. We're past the third hour already today. So I'm going to go ahead and close this out in a word of prayer. And Lord willing, we'll be back next week to wrap this up. And then we're going to get into the, uh, the part of the study relating to the Antichrist and the Assyrian. Well, that's talked about in the Bible. It's another thing that needs to be discussed. So uh, we'll go ahead and close this out in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time that you've given us. All your goodness and your mercy, Lord God. And the grace that you've bestowed upon us. We praise you, Lord God, for what Jesus Christ did on the cross to save our souls. I pray, God, if anyone's listening here that is not saved, Father God, that you would save their soul in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit and your angelic host. Pray, Lord God, that the fear of God would be upon them and that, Lord God, they would be saved. I pray that you would forgive us for any and all sins we've committed in any way, shape, or form, that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. And that, Lord God, that you would use the body of Christ mightily for your glory, um, that your name would be glorified through us, and that you would use us mightily, and that our, your fear would be upon us and against your enemies, Lord, in these end times, that you would protect us, that your angels would encamp around about us, Lord God, that you would minister, Lord God, to the, to the widows and the orphans and the weak and the unborn, Lord God, that you would protect them, um, and that, Lord God, your fear and dread would be upon all those in the body of Christ, in these innocent ones that I have mentioned, uh, that that would try to that would try to hurt these innocent ones and, and the poor and the weak and the widows, Lord God in heaven, that your fear and dread will be against their enemies, and that you would preserve your remnant, Lord God, and that thy name would be glorified through them. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.